I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Hello and welcome back. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey and today I'm your host today on Vet Sessions. I'm here today in the studio with registered veterinary technician, Ms. Charlotte Donahoe. She's here to speak with us about primary care for working dogs. Charlotte is a skilled registered veterinary technician with a really interesting past, and she works with us here at the Ontario Veterinary College. She works half of her time in primary care at the OBC Smith Lane Animal Hospital and half of her time at the OBC Fitness and Rehabilitation Service. Charlotte and her husband, Dr. Jason Donahoe, also have a business providing primary care services for working dogs and police dogs in the greater Toronto area. Great to have you here today with us, Charlotte. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation. Awesome. Well, before we get started, Charlotte, can you please tell us about your veterinary journey? Because I know it's very interesting and how it is that you came to work with working dogs and police dogs. Absolutely. It is a little bit of a circuitous route. Um, I came to OVC in the large animal clinic initially as an externship student and quickly decided that ICU was the place that I wanted to end up. I really felt like if um, there was a situation that I wasn't comfortable dealing with, um, I needed to be extra prepared. So the ICU emergency critical care really was a a calling for me. Um, Around the time when I was trying to get in full time with ICU, I was also working in an emergency clinic in Toronto. And that's sort of where um, our journey with the police dogs started. So my husband, Jason, um, had the opportunity, I'm going to use that word in a positive sense because it ended up growing into something very different, but he saw a police dog who was suffering from GDV at the time, uh, took the dog to surgery, the dog did very well, returned to service, and subsequent to that, we actually became quite good friends with the handler. Um, and had multiple conversations because we were quite shocked about the care that was not happening for the dog, like primary right. care. Okay. Um, the emergency care did end up being obviously adequate. The dog returned to service. Sure. But prior to that, it wasn't going so well for the dog. Um, and we found after discussing things with the handler that there was a huge gap in the primary care services provided to these incredibly talented and valuable athletic animals who do such an important service for us. Um, And we were pretty saddened by that. Of course. And decided that we needed to make a change. Um, So we started volunteering for whatever we could do with the Ontario Provincial Police. Um, Something as minor as showing them how to do bandages. You know, if your dog is out in the field tracking somebody, um, happens to get a small laceration or a tear a pad, then really you should be able to provide some degree of care. Um, And it grew from there once we discovered that they really um, were keen to have somebody paying this level of attention to them, the whole thing grew. So we started looking after um, primary care for certain detachments, 
moved into providing some emergency care training and it just sort of grew from, grew there. from there. Wow, yeah. that, that's amazing. It, it's great to recognize that opportunity and that need in, in yeah. veterinary medicine because, of course, there has been a shift in veterinary medicine uh, away from emergency sort of fire engine type medicine and more prevention. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like Absolutely. A, a really great idea. Um, so also your background, ICU critical care, but now primary care and veterinary rehabilitation, it provides an excellent foundation for these uh, working and, and special category of working dogs. Um, can you tell us a, a little bit about that? Definitely. So I think all of those collectively have prepared me for some of the ups and downs or very different situations that we've encountered working with these dogs. Um, Certainly from my background in ICU and emergency critical care, I think I um, became adapted to dealing with sudden situations, situations that you don't normally see and you develop a a skill really to be able to um, accept strange situations and move on with those, Um, sometimes very extreme situations and so I think to be able to collect your thoughts and deal with those in a really calm cool manner is vital to anything you're going to go forward with in terms of emergency or or critical care Um, and there's sort of a parallel to that with the police because the situations that they're often placed in are pretty extreme Mm -hmm. and we need to be able to discuss those situations knowing that the service dog may encounter some pretty awful situations um and rather than sort of falling apart at that idea you have to be able to say okay you know what that might happen let's be prepared and let's make sure if it happens we know what to do about it so i see you kind of gave me that perspective um the primary care experience as i mentioned before um has been so important to give them a well-rounded you know, overall healthy picture, you know, providing even just backup for them if they have a simple question about, hey, I missed my heartworm medication. Is it okay to give it now? What do I do next? Um, So I think the primary care from prevention to um, vaccines to general exams um, has just given me a, a little bit of a foothold to see this high number of dogs and make sure that they're staying healthy. Um, and answer handlers' questions. Yeah, for sure. Because we see so many of the same questions from the general public, um, but sometimes the handlers don't have an opportunity to ask that, so we're pretty available to them. Um, And then lastly, my rehabilitation um, side of things has um, been a really important shift for me in the sense that these dogs are so athletic and certainly are high drive, which means that sometimes they don't often protect themselves um, when they are pursuing people or when they apprehend people. You know, sometimes things can happen, they get injured. Um, I need to make sure the handlers understand that they have to keep these dogs very, very strong, mm-hmm. um, flexible, very lean because they're occasionally lifting them over fences and things like that. Um, and I want the dog to have the best opportunity to protect itself by being strong and fit and having a good muscle mass. So it's 
What what an amazing combination of skills! I was going to say that's just so fantastic, and I think the um, the working dog police uh, people are very lucky to have uh, you and your husband to, oh, to manage you. their cases. Yeah, and I know the passion is definitely there, which is which is really neat. It's neat in a career to see all these skills over the years kind of come together mm-hmm. and 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 absolutely yeah, offer that to to your clients there. Um, so as you were suggesting with the working dogs, um, they are highly trained, but they can also be highly motivated. Uh, and very energetic. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of precautions um, does the veterinary professional need to consider when handling these working dogs? That's an excellent question. Um, so I'll give you my slash our perspective and yeah. how we um, tend to look after these dogs. Um, we certainly recommend working with muzzles. Um, of course, there are dogs out in the field that are very sociable. And I think there's actually been a shift in policing and not only in protection, but also the scent detection dogs to move towards a more sociable dog. Because I would say 10, 15, even 20 years ago, um, agencies were looking for dogs that were aggressive because that was part of their job. And now I think we're more intelligent about our training. So the dogs are very sociable. But I think what we all have to remember is that these animals are trained for different things. And they don't necessarily have the same bite inhibition that a pet dog might have or in some cases may not I have to be honest yeah sure (laughs) um so I think it's important to consider muzzling them when you're working with them um we always and as I say like this doesn't mean it's applicable to every situation or every clinic out there but what we like to do is have the handlers always involved with their care okay um they know the dog's 100% of the time what they're acting um, out against, how they're feeling, if they're a little bit fearful, if they're confident, um, the handler is best able to restrain them and also to reassure the dog. And um, interestingly, to execute commands with the dog. Yeah, sure. You know, put the dog in a down, put the dog in a sit, tell the dog to stand, um, trot the dog in a heel position. So those things are all useful for us and why not use every tool in the toolbox? So make sure you have the handler's skill with you um, because they're the best people suited for the job. Um, In addition, so I guess there's a question always, do we sedate these dogs? Mm -hmm. And I think collectively, I would say most of the time we don't because when we go do general health exams, the idea is that that dog is then returning to work like that same day. So maybe half an hour after it leaves our hospital or an hour after it leaves, um, you know, being vaccinated, et cetera, um, they need to be able to return to work. Sometimes they even get called out while we're doing our exams and they have to leave. So we don't have the luxury of sedating them. Um, The caveat there is if the dog is coming in for an orthopedic exam, Mm -hmm. needs radiographs, 100% we would sedate the dog because we want them to be able to be managed by the veterinary staff um, in a safe manner. And we don't want the dog to injure themselves either. So yes, in that case, in hospital for specifically for an orthopedic exam, if there's an injury involved, then we would sedate them. But otherwise, no, we haven't found the need to for for us anyway, for our general health exams. Yeah, that's good to know. Um, In terms of knowing commands for the dogs I guess that's always a consideration for the veterinary staff and I would say in my experience it's still better for the handler to be yeah, the one giving like commands <laughs> yeah I mean yeah 
um, we've had a couple of dogs at OVC that I've worked with with other agencies. So I knew the dogs, knew the handler, and then was able to do some work with the dogs here if people were concerned about handling them. And I think the best thing that I got out of them was a down command. And other than that, it was like, (laughs) yeah, I'm not listening to you, lady. (laughs) And I respect that because really it's their job to listen to their handler or other police handlers. It's not their job to think of me because if you think about it from um, their job is to apprehend people. So if they responded to a command of some person on the street instead of apprehending them yeah that's not it's good. kind of defeating the purpose so um i don't tend to try and use any commands that's particularly if i have a wrong word and something yeah. oh goes my a little offside. Yeah, that, that could be scary <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um from a the perspective of low stress handling um which we practice obviously here at oc smith lane right. fear free um so uh, That's a really tough question because um, I don't know what we do. Mm -hmm. Actually, let me rephrase that. So what Jason and I do to try and minimize the stress on all of the agency dogs. And when I say Mm -hmm. agency, I mean it could be um, drug detection. It could be police. It could be um, security. It could be corrections. There's a lot of the dogs that fall under our umbrella. Right. And so what we do to try and minimize stress is we go to them. So um, they don't come into a hospital setting unless, as I said, it's an orthopedic exam and they need to be sedated. Um, But we will go and see them in a corrections facility or at a police agency. Interesting. um, At an airport. So wherever the dogs are most comfortable being, wherever they are most often, that's usually where we will go to them and bring our mobile practice and do everything for their general health exams on site. That's great. Um, I think that's the best way that we can minimize their stress because Mm -hmm. they're very high drive dogs. And as soon as they wake up, literally Mm -hmm. day or night, if they are awake, they want to work. Yeah. Okay. And they are 1000% ready to go. What are we doing next? What are we doing next? What are we doing? Where are we going? You know, they're like bouncing around like the Easter bunny looking for something to do. So, um, that's really the only way that we can be a little bit reassuring is to go to them and have them in their most comfortable environment. Yeah, for sure. And observing them in their normal environment is yeah. probably important, especially when you're assessing things like gait or lameness or exactly. who knows what our attitude, that kind of thing. Yeah, so exactly. interesting. That's great. It's, they can be uh, quite exciting at times. I, I can imagine. <laughs> but I, I, it sounds like having the handler present sounds like a, a, a good bet. mental note. Yep. <laughs> I would say even with COVID, just oh, yeah. bring the handlers bring in. Bring the handlers in. Yep. Just get the masks on, bring the handlers in. I like it. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so in 2021, the American Animal Hospital Association published the Working Assistance and Therapy Dog Guidelines. These guidelines discuss recommendations for dogs trained for protection, odor scent detection, service functions for people with diagnosed disabilities or physical limitations, emotional support, and therapeutic intervention. The guidelines discuss how working dogs undergo extensive training and have rigorous physical demands placed upon them and address the need for a high level of primary veterinary care, which you've reiterated. From a veterinary preventative health care perspective... What are some of the special needs that we should consider for working and police dogs? Um, So I think on the whole, we have to remember that these dogs have spent years 
training. Right. Um, and we've become very dependent on these animals. So it's super important. Not that it's not important for the average pet to be healthy. Of course it is. But I feel like there's an added impetus here that we need to protect these dogs fully. Um, so we need to make sure that we are taking care of any likelihood of um, transmitted diseases. So, for example, in Ontario, in the middle of the winter, some people may say, well, you know, we're probably not going to see ticks at this time of year. What if we do? Or what if one of my canine patients or canine officers is traveling down south? Um they often will do training in different countries, different provinces, so we can't always predict what weather is going to be like. Sure. So if there's any chance for tick-borne diseases, we need to make sure that we're taking care of um, transmission of infectious agents. Um, in terms of injury prevention, clearly we need to, as I said before, keep them as strong as we can and make sure that handlers are very aware and um doing a little bit of an exam on their dog on a daily basis. So one of the things that we make sure we drive into the brains of all of our clients is that if you don't know what's normal for your dog, how mm -hmm. are you ever going to be able to tell me what's abnormal? So Fair we enough. just advocate for a nose to tail, hands on the dog, make sure you know if there's lumps and bumps, make sure you know what their dentition looks like, make sure you know if your dog normally has a runny nose so that if your dog you know, has a runny nose day three and day five, you're not super concerned because that's normal for him. Um, in terms of parasite prevention, as I sort of alluded to, we will keep them on your own parasite prevention because we okay. don't know um, when it what, is. yeah, on what moment they're going to be, or <clears throat> excuse me, um, if the dogs are going to be going overseas. Right. Sorry, apparently I'm losing my voice That's in mid-interview. Okay. That's okay. I'm making you talk a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so definitely we do keep them on your own parasite prevention. Okay. Um, for most of our canine officers and um, working dogs, we see them annually for a full general health checkup. We okay. do annual blood work, uh, CBC and a biochem. We do um, fecal Flotation as okay. well. So we do really a full general workup. Um, at that annual, we look at their dentition as well. Um, another safety precaution here, obviously you have these dogs muzzled and you're right. wondering how you can look at their e mouth. Yes. So if the dog is fairly reliable, and again, I would defer to the handler or Jason would defer to the handler. Um, if you feel like you can hold your dog's mouth mm -hmm. and lift up his lips for us to look at his back molars, fantastic let's take his muzzle off for a moment look at those okay or not um another trick that's kind of nice is sometimes we'll get the dog to hold a kong or a ball on a rope okay. for the handler and that's the handler can do a little bit of a tug game with them and then we can safely kind take of look. quickly look at the back of their teeth um so there's you know you can develop some little tricks Games, in the trade. Yeah. <laughs> um but certainly looking at the the mouth of these dogs is not the highlight of our day <laughs> so you have to I be pretty imagine, extra yeah, careful I feel, with yeah, this absolutely but i can imagine um, that they're you know that having you know um uh, fractures or injuries in the mouth could be very common especially if they have to apprehend something yeah, or yeah, yeah so i was just going to say the the part about the dental that's so important is for the handlers to know if there's a change so again we definitely advocate for them to look at the yeah. dog's mouth when it's safe. If they're not safe, there are dogs that really are not Can't. amenable to that, even with the handler. Um, but we, these, uh, some of these dogs bite for a living. 
You right. know, like that's their job, right? <laughs> sure. And part of their training is to bite yeah. and hold on like a jute sleeve or something like that. Right. So they absolutely positively have to have rock solid dentition mm-hmm. and dental health is super important to them for obvious reasons. So um, that's something that we're very careful to recommend and, and make sure that they see someone about dental cleaning prophylactically, or if they have an injured tooth, they have to have that taken care of immediately. Right. Now, are there um, specific vaccines? Like I know um, we have our core vaccines, mm-hmm. um, such as parvo, distemper, hepatitis, parainfluenza, rabies. Um, is there any other vaccines that you tend to recommend for? Um, we do this? vaccinate for okay. lepto. Oh, you do? Okay. So yeah, all the dogs are vaccinated for lepto. Um, it's just the notion that we know it's out there. We right. know it's yep, a big problem sure. here. Like it's, you know, it's grown certainly in the number of cases that we see every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and those dogs can get really sick, obviously. And so in our theory, it's an ounce of prevention. Yeah, like the absolutely. vaccine is way safer than it used to be. And why would we not give this to dogs that are constantly, like for the most part, they're in the woods tracking people. Yeah. Like that's part of their job. And even, you know, when they're in that high drive, it's not like they're stopping to take a drink of a pond or anything like that, but we still need to be so careful. And it's just the cost of failure on that one is too high. So we do vaccinate for lepto. Um, When we had sort of the outbreak of canine influenza, what's that now? A couple of years ago, we did vaccinate for influenza, but um, we are not doing that currently Currently. because it's less of a problem. Okay. Um, And then... I feel that with um, uh, Bordetella, I remember speaking to you about that because there are different ways to administer the Bordetella or kennel Mm -hmm. cough vaccine. And so we were talking a little bit before about, um, you know, do you use intranasal vaccines? and Yeah, so we do the oral Bordetella. Oral, okay. Um, Yeah, and a part of that is because we, you know, choose not to mess with their noses. And to be perfectly transparent here, part of that is because it is much much easier to administer an oral vaccine to a very high drive dog like stopping them from moving around and trying to get something into their nose is just going to be a battle that we don't need um (laughs) versus if they have their kong in their mouth or something you can quickly administer or the handler can administer while you're there they can play tug and you can kind of that sounds safer a little bit yeah So uh, along those lines, uh, there's an interesting fact mentioned in the AHA guidelines that dogs are reported to be capable of detecting odor at one to two parts per trillion. I think it's well known that dogs have a better sense of smell than people, but what I didn't know is that they can smell 10,000 to 100,000 times better than humans. Yeah, that's huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is important for the veterinary team to recognize that sense of smell or olfactory competence is of critical importance to a detection dog success. Are there any precautions that the veterinary profession should consider when prescribing medications that can affect the sense of smell? So we briefly touched on the intranasal bordetella. um, And and as I said, not as much from a sense of smell, but as safety and actual manageability. Um, But something that is not widely known is that metronidazole has been shown to decrease their um, olfactory capacity um, and certainly changes their sense of smell. So in a situation where a dog's requiring medication for, let's say, some diarrhea or GI upset, um, Tylosin is maybe a better choice because it does not, uh, or at least has not been shown to affect their olfaction at this point in time. 
Um, and if you consider that some of these dogs are actually detecting narcotics or explosives or firearms, right. you really don't want to no. interrupt their ability or the accuracy of their uh, ability to detect those things. For sure. Um, and then I think um, with steroids, um, there is some comments that they may enhance or inhibit uh, olfaction. So, um, you know, again, uh, my understanding, too, is that if you do have to prescribe something like metronidazole or potentially steroids, um, that there may be some benefits to possible recertification. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think it's a good idea. Like if, if any dog is... Um, sort of off duty or is on a course of medication for an illness, um, each agency would have different um, standards, let's say, or timing with respect to that. But certainly after a long course of illness or a long course of medications for that illness, um, it's certainly recommended that we recertify the dog and make sure that everything is back on track before they're back in the field or back to work. And these are all great comments because I think from a primary care perspective, and certainly I'm, I'm I'm more used to dealing with, you know, companion animals, pet animals, that kind of thing is understanding that, you know, these are working animals. Mm -hmm. So, so we have to figure out, you know, what is impacting their quality um, or quantity of work. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be careful what we prescribe and how we prescribe it. So those those are interesting facts. Um, You mentioned in previous discussions that you spend quite a bit of time educating handlers about emergency first aid. Uh, your critical care background is really helpful in this area. And you already touched upon the fact that you do spend a lot of time talking with them and educating them. Mm-hmm. What types of emergencies should a handler or I guess a primary care vet um, help educate their their handlers about? Mm. Wow, I'm, that might be a whole other podcast. Yeah, it could, it could be. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there's a list. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I would say the most common, here's a starting point for you, the most okay. common things that we get calls about from our handlers. So we're yep. pretty much available to them. 24 hours a day. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Um, so the most frequent things are vomiting and diarrhea. Okay. Um, a lot of these dogs are susceptible to stress diarrhea. Okay. It's just, you know, we certainly work with that. Yeah. It's their Mm -hmm. job and they sometimes have issues with stress. So we certainly get a lot of calls about that. Um, foreign body ingestion, Okay. Again, like is, objects or drugs uh, or objects. Both? So objects. both. Okay. But so a lot of times the leash was hanging on the gate and the dog ate the leash or okay. <laughs> the dog ate the most recent was a Kong, like part of oh, Kong. Oh, wow. Yeah. So part That's of a Kong. And yeah, they, the dogs, the, again, it's drive. Yeah. They love the ball that they're chasing. They love okay. the Kong they're chasing. Um, you get too so excited. we do, yeah. So we do educate them on the fact that if your dog eats something, you need to call us immediately. Okay. Um, and we need to get that object that out. out of there. Yeah, like right now. Um, so those are two pretty common ones. Um, we try and give them opportunities to, you know, provide at least some degree of first aid in the field if they need to. Um, pad lacerations, if you need to bandage something mm-hmm. quickly. A lot of these dogs will just continue working and you'll I never bet. know anything happened. But the ones that we need to address, we sort of school them on how to take care of that when you're, you know, six In kilometers or, into sure. a track and you don't have the luxury of a clinic because you're, you know, three hours north of Thunder Bay. Yep, fair enough. Um, the reality is they don't have veterinary care close by. So what do you need to do? You need to call us and we need to talk to you about first aid. Yeah. But, um, another sort of more extreme example that we've educated all of our handlers about, 
um, is GDV because a lot of these animals are deep chested, large breed dogs, um, pneumothorax. And I'm talking like clinical signs. Like okay. you need to be able to recognize this as soon as something is not quite right with your dog because time obviously matters in a big way for those two right. particular conditions. Um, so by preparing them for clinical signs that may or may not show up, at least we've given them that tool to deal with something if it happens and they aren't expecting it. Know the signs, know what's normal for your dog. Call us if something abnormal sure. is going on or call your vet. And, and know when to seek emergency Absolutely. Uh, you know, advice. And if they're not sure, sure. they again, call us. Like yeah. Pick up the phone, send us a text message. So we're very available to them because... Sometimes you just need to ask someone like, do I need to, yeah. should I worry about this? Yeah. yeah. Do I need to drop the hammer and get to the clinic or am I okay to observe this for a little while? Absolutely. And then with the GDV, which is gastric dilatation volvulus, I would imagine that that's pretty, um, more apparent because of the breeds, mm -hmm. um, that are involved. So again, like German shepherds, Labradors, all the big, the big breeds. Yeah, exactly. So okay. there's a, a large population of Belgian Malinois, certainly okay. in a lot of the agencies right now, shepherds definitely, um, springers. There's oh, really? Some springers for okay. not for the pursuit. They're right. uh, the yeah, scent okay. detection. <laughs> <Fair dogs. laughs> I like to see that. Um, yeah. But there's no, you know, springers can, can GDV as well. So okay. um, we just want everyone to be prepared, know what they're looking for. And look for and, those bloated signs yep. and discomfort and that kind and of thing. And act on okay. it as soon as they have even a suspicion or a concern. Okay. Now, what about things like, uh, again, you were talking before about, um, you know, drug detection, explosive detection. Mm -hmm. uh, I would imagine there are times that those dogs may ingest those substances. Yes. So what do you do? Yes, you actually reminded me of that. Yeah. And then I went on a different no, pathway. No, that's okay. Sorry. So that's a very big deal. Okay. Um, obviously, mostly for the narcotics or okay, like drug opioids, detection right? dogs, yeah. So um, those handlers have kits with them um, so that if their dogs ingest a find, either in training or in a life situation, mm -hmm. um, they know how to treat the dog for that ingestion. And so that's with like naloxone or like a reversal agent, which I think a lot of people now have yeah, heard so about. They, so they need to carry... Um, some anticonvulsants. They need to oh, wow. carry um, drugs for emesis. They need to carry naloxone for sure. Wow. Um, so those are sort of the big exposures that we need to take care of as quickly as we can. Um, and so the dogs that are scent detection dogs in that mm -hmm. arena, um, those handlers all have ways to immediately deal with that situation well that's great i mean obviously they're seeking veterinary yeah. care sure but sometimes that is time too is far away yeah, yeah. Sure. so they need to do something sooner than that so wow. they they have a place to call they know poison control numbers etc but they mm -hmm. do have something on their person that helps them deal with those situations that's uh, that's really interesting um, now your canine rehabilitation background is helpful with respect to acute and chronic injuries that may uh, occur in these dogs. These dogs need to maintain overall fitness and maintain a healthy weight. What kind of recommendations can the vet professional make to help keep these dogs active and healthy? Um, I think probably the biggest thing comes back to body condition score, right? So these dogs need to be lean. Um, and, 
unfortunately, sometimes people in the public see the dogs and feel like they're, oh, they're too being mean. mistreated because oh, they're too lean. And <laughs> I'm trying to explain that, no, no, this dog needs to be lean. Like his right. joints are carrying him up and down stairs mm-hmm. through rubble piles, over fences for, you know, two hours of tracking. So the dog needs to be in lean body condition so that his joints or her joints um, are impacted a little bit less than if they were, you know, on the plumper side of things. Yeah, for sure. Um, And then keeping them strong and um, we've provided handlers with some stretches to go through just so that, you know, once the dog's finished a long track, they have some stretches, their muscles are getting a little bit more relaxed and that seems to help with um, some injury prevention, keeping them strong. They certainly do some gymnastic exercises during their training. Um, they uh, they all understand the, the value of the athletic capacity of the dog and they right. definitely are good about keeping them in tip-top shape. And I guess from a nutrition perspective, their caloric requirement would be potentially more so so it's that kind of balance and 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 getting back to you know the the people in the public thinking that these dogs are too lean it's also us realizing that probably our pet dogs are too fat so yeah it's a bit of a contrast (laughs) it is a contrast seriously because really those dogs are in great condition sure on the body condition scale yeah they are pretty much where we would want them to be. Your pet could maybe be like one notch higher on yeah, the yeah, scale. Yeah, right, probably, but, yeah. But yeah, I think we see so many, unfortunately, so many pets that are overweight. Mm-hmm. The sharp contrast really raises some eyebrows sometimes. I can imagine. Now, what about things like you, you were talking about, um, you know, joint health? Um, mm-hmm. Is there any uh, recommendations in so far as, you know, preventatives like amica fatty acids or mm-hmm. that kind of thing? Is there? Yep, so we try and have all of our dogs. And when I say we try, obviously the agency have the final decision on right. this and it's a big financial outlay for the for government sure. as well um but we do try and keep the dogs on omega fatty acids okay um as well as some sort of a joint health like with um chondroitin glucosamine msm maybe green lip muscle okay um saponified um avocado Avocados, right so um, if that's available to the handlers, then we definitely strongly recommend that they provide as much of that preventive care as they can. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I like the the emphasis again on prevention, right? Mm-hmm. And so, of course, giving them the tools to know what to do in an emergency, but potentially, you know, uh, being more preventative and mm-hmm. ensuring that we can prevent disease rather than than wait till it happens. So. Exactly. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, Charlotte, it's been so amazing talking to you today. You have such an exciting past. We are so very honored and and happy to have you a part of our team here at OBC at the Hills Pet Nutrition Primary Healthcare Center. It's been fantastic. And what a a cool um, job business that you and your husband have. I think it's always so exciting for for students to hear a little bit more about working dogs. Um, We're very fortunate here that we do um, offer uh, working dog services in our rehab program, but also Mm -hmm. we're the primary care practitioners for the uh, Guelph, Guelph Police, Police, which is yeah. fantastic. And they've been so supportive of OBC. Yeah. Uh, but I think this is a great discussion today. So we really appreciate your time. Thanks for oh, coming no. today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm honestly, we feel 
incredibly fortunate to uh, be able to care for such amazing dogs. Yeah, I I'm think so that's impressed fantastic. by them every yeah, day. I hope that one day after COVID, we can have uh, some kind of police dog uh, oh, demonstration. Absolutely. Yeah, that That'd would be, be so cool. Yeah, it'd be really neat. <laughs> Except for I don't want to, you know, I always see pictures of the person that, you know, has the the, the arm thing where I've the dog jumps. It. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, can no do thanks. it. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. It's actually... Attack dogs. It yeah. is, um, <laughs> it's kind of an eye-opener no when kidding. you feel the impact of that dog on your arm. I, I think imagine. you'll appreciate them in a very different way. I bet. Absolutely. I'm signing you up. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm there. So um, to our listeners, thank you for joining us today on Vet Sessions. Please consider following us on Instagram at Vet Sessions. If you would like to send us a message, please email us at vetsessions at hotmail.com. See you next time.